1 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. We must love the truth at any cost. We must love the truth, or I'm referring to 1 Thessalonians 2, we will be sent a powerful delusion that God approves of. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Good day, everybody. This is Stephen. Last week, uh, we put up an episode that was me talking to a group outdoors. It was a kind of a house church group. You might have thought that was a one-off. Really, it was a two-off. And this week, I'm going to post another talk that I gave um, to another house church group. This was in a barn in Kentucky. And I'm talking about false teachers. Again, I know this falls well outside of what you would traditionally come to Abraham's wallet for. But I think that if we're going to be aware of what's happening in the days we live in, we need to be aware of false teaching, which the Bible promises is going to happen. So if, uh, again, if you want very specific, say, budgeting tips, this is not going to scratch that itch. And you can uh, just hold off until next week. But um, this is something that's been burning on my heart to share. And uh, I think you could benefit from it. And I hope you do. So now I'll turn it over to me. Thanks. Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What a question. What will be the sign of your coming, Jesus, and of the end of the age? Anybody else ever had that question? I have. And Jesus answered and he said to them, his next words out of his mouth was, take heed that no one deceives you. Isn't that interesting? And then in my mind, the disciples answered, oh Lord, thou hast not answered the question. No, we said, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And his next words were, well, just see to it that no one deceives you. So let's read this passage. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Uh Uh-oh. And will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There's just going to be a perfect storm of a little bit of tribulation. People taking offense. That's a necessary component. Betrayal. And when there's all this milieu of all this static happening, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of most will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. I wish this passage was tattooed on our hearts. That we understood. Here it is everybody. Here's the recipe for the end of the age. Here's what to watch out for. And here's what's coming. We're going to see today that the way to identify these crooks. 
is clear to us because the Lord has told us who they are and what they teach and what to do about them. So my first really simple point is that um, false teachers are coming and they have already come. We're told, this is a command from scripture, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. To beware of something doesn't just mean, oh, I know there are bears in the area. Oh, there are bears in the area. Oh, there's a sign that says there will be attacking bears in this area. Good to know. Interesting. Good to know. That, that's not beware. To be aware means, do we have everything that we need on us right now to fight these bears? Are we hanging the food very high up? Do we have alarms? What, what's, do we have something in place that if and when bears come, we deal with them? Not just, hmm, good to know, bear, killer bears in the area. No, beware of false prophets. I mean, you need to hang some alarms, some trip wires around your life. So that when these things cross them, you go, I know what that is. When these wolves come against you, it's going to be like a wolf coming against Flat Stanley. <laughs> They're smarter than you are. They, they've actually been strategically sent out by the evil one specifically to deceive many. He is smarter than you are. You should just know that the enemy and his forces are smarter than we are, than people are. And their delight, their delight will be to consume you and destroy your family. It'll be the delight of the enemy. I'm not talking about, wow, the really out there fringe people who call themselves Christians doing strange things. And, oh, they're handling snakes down in Kentucky somewhere. Oh, boy, that's weird. No, the way the Bible describes it is the things that are wolves, ravenous wolves, will be mainstream. It'll be the most common kind of believism that's on the scene. Or did you not hear Matthew 24? It said, they will deceive many and the love of most will grow cold. There is a wide path that leads to death and many are on that path. There is a path that leads to life. I'm quoting the Messiah here. And few find it. 2 Corinthians 11. They present themselves as pious and likable. I mean, I just think we have a false notion that a false teacher is going to be so weird and so unsavory to us that we're going to be so clever that we'll know, well, that's not my kind of guy. And I just... I don't know. I just don't feel good about it. No, this, you know what a wolf in sheep's clothing means? It'll come in exactly the form that you would most like and receive. That's what a wolf in sheep's clothing means. Such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. We'll get to that in a second. I just want you to know that appearances is, is insufficient. And there's a lot of metrics that I think we have these days about people that we'll receive from, and they're not good metrics. 
they'll be like, they just seem like a loving crew. I don't know, there's a real spirit of community around them. Well, I'm a kind of prophecy and visions person, and there's quite a few prophecies and visions. They, re they receive all the gifts. Okay, cool. That's fine. All right, good. Those are all fine, good things. They're not great metrics for deciding whether it's false teaching or not. I have many experiences with what I'm talking about today. One of them is there was a small group in Texas. It was a committed house group. I'm talking about like a 20-year kind of a house group deal. I received ministry from these people. What we didn't know is that the leader of this group had secret sin of homosexuality in his life for 30 years. Found this out when he died. These people are cool. These are people from the Jesus movement. They, they, they're very receiving. It's the kind of place you're like, man, I feel family. I feel parented there. They receive you there. And, and the guy, the, the leader, who I'm gonna call Ernest, what was said about him was that he was hospitable. He was, he was leadery and teachery. He, he could assemble people together. And what was said was, you know, he receives, they receive broken people into that group. And people who need to feel a safe place, they feel safe in that group. And, it, and it's great. Well, what happened um, was that they didn't teach truth in that group. Can, you, can anybody guess why they didn't teach truth? Because of Ernest. He didn't want to hear truth. He wanted to talk about, well, we all did. The most important thing is that we all just receive each other no matter what. And we're supportive. And that's what we're going to do. These passages make it clear that people like Ernest are going to try to infiltrate the church in the end times. They will spread false doctrine and they'll actually be used as agents of the enemy. We're supposed to be keen to watch, not for their gifts, because we're all gifted, but for their fruit. And we mustn't simply stop at buzzwords like community or grace. I'll talk about that in a second, which which. When we talk about grace, it can be code for, and it usually is these days. I'll go ahead on a limb and say, it's usually code for, they'll put up with anything. That's usually what grace means these days. On the contrary, if we read Revelation 2, 19 through 21, we see if tolerance always pleases God. It doesn't. Tolerance and tact are two of the idols of today. Tolerance and tact. And Jesus wasn't interested in either one of those things. Matthew 7, 15 through 20 is our command to observe fruit and discern what's really going on. So I'll ask real quick, what's the fruit that we're looking for? Repentance would be at the top of that list for me. We love repentance, don't we? Yes. Man, it produces salvation with no regrets. We love repentance. It's brokenness before the Lord. Where there's repentance, pride can't go on for very long. Repentance is some of the fruit that we're looking for. Not prophecy, not deliverance, not miracles. Those things are all great. That's not how we decide whether something is clean or not. By the way, I use Matthew 7.22 to say that we're not looking for prophecy, deliverance, or miracles. We also look for praise that confesses his name. I'm lifting that out of Hebrews 13.15. We're also looking for disciples. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I chose you to bear the kind of fruit that will last. 
So when I say I'm looking for disciples, my question is, if I get downwind of some charismatic leader, I don't mean charismatic as in, speaking in tongues, I mean charismatic as in uh, that's the kind of person that people want to be around. If I get around a leader like that and I see someone who's on his downline, what is that kind of person like? Is that a person who is increasingly devoted to Jesus with everything? I'm talking about one step down and even grandchildren. Where are these false teachers going to appear? They're going to appear everywhere. Everywhere that you go to be influenced, they'll be there. They'll be in your podcasts. They'll be on your social. And they'll have the most cool names handles and they'll say the most pithy memorable things your sunday places your gatherings on sundays they'll be on tv they'll be in advertisements if you if you don't know that false doctrine comes through marketing and through the world which you swallow blandly because you go well it's athleta and we love athleta So this isn't really about our Christianity. It's just we love comfort wear. You know what I'm saying? That kind of active wear, but you don't have to exercise necessarily. But it makes you feel like an athlete when you wear this clothes. Do you know that you could get false doctrine and false teaching through a brand, through marketing, through an advertisement? And if you don't think that, perfect. (laughs) Then you are are perfect uh, victim fodder to not have your guard up. Certainly we know that even in our closest relationships, there's no guarantee that there's not some false doctrine there. But what we do know, what I know about Paul sitting here, is if he and I both believe, because we've done trainings and stuff together, if we both believe some false thing, I know without even asking Paul, we'll both repent right now. We want to be corrected by the Lord. That's not an issue because we're Matthew 18 men. It's that we don't want to be blindly influenced and start swallowing whole something because it seems popular, because it's attractive to us, and it checks off some, some marks of the flesh that we, that we like. If it hasn't been made painfully clear in the last couple months, I'll just say it because we're family here. Schools are a place where false teaching is going to be sown into your children strategically by the enemy and it will be ramping up as the end comes closer and closer. If you didn't know that the enemy will get more naked and more bold about his moves to deceive, you haven't had your nose in the book or in the news or some combination of those things. Sometimes we think of the enemy as the cartoon little imp that stands on our shoulder and wants us to just do some bad. Do, have an extra piece of candy, you know? Like he just wants us to be mischievous. And it's a better idea for you to think of some cruel little boy who takes a beetle and plucks his legs off one by one, then yanks his wings off and then dissects him in pieces to try to make sure the thing is alive as long as possible while he destroys this thing. That's what the enemy wants to do to you, in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, and in your community and your family. He wants to destroy you. 
It's really glib and simple and foolish for us to say, well, an institution like the school, I just trust, I just trust our school. We have a good school. Boy, you should be doing homework on where the influences are on your family. Surely nobody would ever just turn over electronic devices to their children and say, good luck on the internet. Surely no one would ever do that. Okay, what do they teach? I'm gonna tell you six things that they teach. Number one, all grace and no truth. Now this is, this is a quote, a friend of mine said, you know, Ernest just collected broken people and he loved them. And because he was caring and he gushed grace at every turn and he never judged, well now we know why. Because his commitment to his sin demanded an accompanying theology in which God endlessly winks at sin and never judges. He never drew a hard line with anybody, which kept him popular, by the way. Never drew, there's never any hard lines, John. I'll tell you this little anecdote about that crew. Um, the same guy, our friend Peb Smith, came across a guy named Darren who had gone to Ernest with a pornography addiction. Ernest only said basically, and I just want you to understand, I want you to listen to how devious this is. Ernest said to Darren, you know, I understand grace upon you. You have brokenness in your heart, but God will love you through this. We would all say, high five, sign me up for that. Man, fantastic. He never warned him of the biblical threats regarding sexuality. He never made a stand against Darren's sin. Surprise, surprise, Darren remained trapped in his addiction. And eventually, out of desperation, because he didn't want to be trapped and addicted, Darren found my friend Peb and he confessed his sin to him as Darren's marriage was falling apart. So it was working. What the enemy was trying to do to Darren was working just fine. Ernest was not the solution. It didn't work. Just like, well, we'll just love you the way you are. It's all, I, I'm all for loving people the way that they are. And we don't stay there. We don't stay the way that we are. Peb immediately condemned the sinful habit while loving Darren. That's what, that's what our training does when some guy starts confessing sin is that we, we then tell them, here's all the implications of your sin. And we try to scare them more than they're scared regarding their sin and saying, it's worse than you think it is. This is what Peb did. He condemned the sinful habit while loving Darren. He told Darren to do anything in his power to stop the sin. And he invited him to move into his home while he tried to pull it, put his marriage back together. We're not talking about a mean, judgmental relationship here. We're talking about hugely supportive and truth-based. Darren was eventually healed of his addiction and his marriage was saved, but not because of Ernest who was too weak to snatch Darren out of the fire like Jude instructs us to do with some people. Jesus came full of, anybody? Grace and support. That's right. Grace and support. No. John 1, 14 through 17. Grace and truth. And we must as well. We must love, now this is, I'm referring to 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. We must love the truth at any cost. 
we must love the truth, or I'm referring to 1 Thessalonians 2, we will be sent a powerful delusion that God approves of, that God allows. Look it up, read it. God sends a powerful delusion because they did not love the truth. We must commit, I love the truth, Lord. Tell me the truth about me. Don't shoot, don't shoot smoke up my skirt. I want the truth. What are your, this is why Psalm 19, what are the judgments of the Lord? They are more to be desired than gold. We want your judgments, Lord. What do you say about me? What are your judgments about my family? What are your judgments about my community, about the people that I live in? What are your judgments about my nation? I don't need your endless affirmation, Lord. It's not true. He doesn't endlessly affirm everything about you. He does not. We want his judgments that he would say, now this I like. And we, when I know what that feels like to go, mm, thank you. Thank you, daddy. I love that. And we need to be people when he, when he puts his finger on sin in us, we would also go, you love me, daddy. Thank you. You are saving me. Loving the truth at any cost. If we don't, we can expect a powerful delusion and to have our eyes blinded. Not loving the truth enough. You can read Jeremiah 23, starting 16 and go all the way through like 32. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Do you hear that? People who walk according to their own way, doing what they want, these people continually affirm them, saying, no evil will come upon you. The Lord is with you. These kind of irresponsible declarations that are made to a crowd, to a stadium full of 12,000 people and the nincompoop standing in the spotlight will say, he approves of all of you here. He just, I can feel his heart right now and it is approval of all of you. What are you saying? We, we can't talk like that to one another. This is, this is what the Lord tells us. This is what these false prophets will do. They'll just say, no evil will come upon you. Everything's going to be good. Everything will be okay. We read Matthew 24. It says that there's going to be a powerful delusion. The love of most will grow cold. And, there's, and it says there's going to be horrible times. That's Matthew 24. Now, the Lord hates it when people say, peace, peace, and there is no peace. That phrase... You say peace, peace, and there is no peace. It's repeated in Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah 8, and twice in Ezekiel 13. These people say peace, peace, and there is no peace. He hates it. He wants people who tell the truth. Now you tell me. Let's just do some arithmetic together. If you've been conditioned by someone who tells you, the closer you get to the Lord, the better it's going to get. He's going to protect you from all problems. He's going to provide for your every whim, lust. 
and he's just going to, you know, he's going to be your genie and he's going to do everything that you say. And you're just going to go into a stronger life. Uh, uh, you're going to be a better leader. All of these junk stuff that's rolled out at us by pop Christianity. If you, re- if you take that in over years and when you have problems in your life, you go, well, I'm, I'm, I'll try I need to get something together. I need to go to the right person to, to fix this thing. Or I'm going to, I, the Lord is holding out on me. I don't know why he's holding out. I don't know why he's making things hard on me, but I'm, I'll figure it out. And you, you just keep bumping along with this ideal in your brain that's been planted in you that following Jesus means things get better and better. When Matthew 24 happens, and it all comes down and the world goes real rough and awful things are happening at the end of the age. What do you think your response is going to be when everything is closing down around you, that there's mass persecution, there's mass pain. You are going to cut and run because you're going to go, I didn't sign up for this. I don't know what this is. What do I have to sign? There's a declaration that I have to say that says that I believe what? Just tell me what I have to say. I'm out of here. Give me the comfort that I was promised by the Christians long ago. It's a lie that we have to watch out for when people promise us peace, peace, peace. What we have to receive is that we want the Lord at any cost. That's what we've been saying in worship. What I can promise you is that if you want him, I'm quoting Paul here, everybody who wants to be godly will be persecuted. And suffering is a necessary component in your growth. Get ready for suffering. And here's the really frustrating part. You don't get to choose what the suffering is. Because if you could, you would swap suffering with your neighbor and go, I want her suffering. I don't like the suffering that I've been given. That's called sovereignty. It has been assigned to you to suffer. And you don't get to choose what it is. I just want you to see, I see a connection between the great falling away and the the bad teaching that it's just going to keep getting better and better. And when you hear that, you will hear that. When you hear that, I want you to turn and run. I don't care if you have to leave your sweet little small group. Oh, I mean, confront it. Confront it. Go, we don't believe this. But there are going to be, it might not be yours, there are going to be many, 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 many situations where the, the troops circle up and they go, we don't like the way you're talking about this suffering stuff because we've chosen, you ever hear this phrase? I always get nervous when somebody says, well, the God I believe in, X, Y, Z. I'm like, thanks, gotta go. Have a great day. The God I believe in. Oh, do you define the way that you want him to be? The God I believe in? Watch out. There's going to be times when we challenge something and the troops are going to circle up and they're going, you gotta go. And you say, I guess I do. It better, better for us to live on the backside of the pasture all alone and have the Lord than be in the middle of favor and community and affirmation and yet be in the midst of deception. 
because these people aren't going to make it. Is that clear enough? The end of the passage of Matthew 24 is the one who lasts to the end will be saved. That's also Mark 13, 13. If you'd like an easier to remember passage, because you should have that in your heart. Mark 13, 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Is that a question or an amen with the hand up? Okay, I love amens. All right. The second thing that they're going to teach is spirit of man affirming, I call it vapid self-help anti-gospel, but spirit of man affirming surfacy self-help nothingness. The, the solution to the problems in your life is that you would learn some helpful tips. And of course, we know that the gospel is there's one solution to every problem of mankind. It is the person of Jesus and his completed work on the cross. I don't care what your problem is. That's the answer. Amen. So we, that's what we say when people come in and they have healing needs. We start with, well, I can pray for the healing. It'll only come through the completed work of Jesus did on the cross. Are you cool with calling out to him? Because he's the only solution. Well, I've consulted my chakras and I got some relief there. That was a deception. That'll lead you into death. That's no good. Matter of fact, before we pray for the healing, why don't we repent of you going into a broken well? That's a cult. It'll leave you to death. Let's get that out of the way. Now let's call out to Jesus, whatever the problem is. I'm going to read um, 2 Timothy 4. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing... They will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and support the errors they hold, and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. That sounds like an elder to me. Enduring every hardship without flinching. What a great passage. Don't you love Paul? He's the best. One thing that you should look for in the teachers that you put yourself under is people who step on your toes with the word of God. One value of godly biblical teaching is that it corrals sin and steps on it in your life and makes you feel uncomfortable in your sin. That's good and helpful. But we live in an age when people don't want to be called out about anything. Don't challenge me. Don't correct me. If I may borrow from Isaiah, get off the path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Get out of my way. So I say specifically that you want to look for somebody who steps on your toes with the word of God, not their own opinions. Don't look for, well, I know it's good for me to have somebody that just tongue lashes me. No, we're not looking for opinions or bad attitudes. We want somebody that presents you with the word of God. They open up to you. And when the word of God says, that's, that's, a, that's an electric fence that you've put, zzzz, uh, back off. But, okay, don't go there. Not good. That's one thing that we should be looking for. 
I've been a professional pastor before, everyone. And I've sat in trainings as a professional pastor when I was told that what we're after is reconciliation between the LGBTQ Christians and the traditional church. And we should be about that business. Vapid, self-help, anti-gospel. Not the gospel. The first thing that needs to happen for somebody who is in LGBTQ world is someone needs to go to them and tell them, you need to repent. You do not hold on to that life and experience or inherit the kingdom of God. I'm quoting Paul directly. So the dalliance that the modern church has with this movement for the sake of popularity, for political gain, is beyond the pale and would, would be completely beyond thought for most of Christian history. But we live in such an evil age that we have to make accommodations for the evil in which we live because we don't want to push too many people away. I'm telling you that if I've got three brothers, when the fire comes from heaven to burn this place up and we know that the curtains are closing on the end of the age, so be it. I want to be found in him. I don't care how strange I look according to the days. I don't care whether mainstream Christianity approves of me or not. I'm going to hold on to the heart of my Savior and his word no matter what the cost is. If you think there's something mean in me for talking, so be it. This accommodating thing, I'm telling you, it, is, it has been assigned to destroy you. This idea that the church's main goal is to be acceptable to the lost is insanity. The church's goal is to be acceptable to the king. That's why we exist. And the Lord can add to our number daily those who are, who are being saved. Let me quote the Messiah. When I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself, says the Messiah. But we don't lift him up. We make accommodations everywhere because these people are everywhere right now. And you and I are so drunk on the bad doctrine that we've received for 20 years, we can't even see straight. So I'm just bringing you a headline to go look. The Lord's judgment is coming at the end of the age. You and I need to clean. We need a gut cleanse. We need to come back to, do you, does anybody, can you define what the gospel is? Do we know what the word of God says about how we live in him? What is grace exactly? We talked about this last week. We have to understand there is a ditch of legalism. And it's a big, it's a big bad daddy. And, and we got Galatians and other things to talk to us about legalism. That's not our problem today. We're not so legalistic. We're licentious. We approve of things that the Lord abhors. And we, we, I always think to myself, would I look like a believer to a believer who's paid the price in Pakistan and in Indonesia and in Venezuela? Would I look like a believer to them? That's an important question. Would I look like a believer to someone a thousand years ago 
That's a very important question. And this deconstruct movement is godless. Its goal is to destroy people. It's a tool of the enemy that we go back and deconstruct the past. I'm telling you, the past, the early church is our best reference for what we're supposed to be. The early church, that's, that, the, those people are our big brothers. The, those, they're our heroes. They're who we want to be. I'm, I'm, I'm giving away some of my stuff here. But the third thing that they'll teach is fleshly indulgence. Now I'm going to de- describe two ditches for you. Fleshly indulgence or self-righteous austerity. Both of those are present. They're pre- they're both of those are present in Cincinnati, Ohio. I can name the groups. Fleshly indulgence or unrighteous austerity. The volume of scripture that talks about this is overwhelming. And listen to the language that Paul uses. The Holy Spirit explicitly and unmistakably declares. This isn't, I had a sense in the spirit. This is, this is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, the Holy Spirit explicitly and unmistakably declares that in later times, some will turn away from the faith, paying attention and said to deceitful and seductive spirits and doctrines of demons. I know I'm repeating myself, but I, it, it bears repeating. A seductive woman is desirable to look at. And she acts in a desirable way so that you want, your flesh wants that. What do you think a, what do you think a seductive spirit of teaching would look like? The answer is whatever you would like. That's the answer. A seductive spirit would look like whatever you would like. The other ditch, unrighteous austerity, which is legalism. And they'll make demands of you to be in their crew that the scripture does not demand. We worship niceness, if you didn't know that. One of our idols is perpetual niceness in every situation. Open your Bible, read some stories about Yeshua, the Messiah. Let's talk about perpetual niceness. Before we leave, I'm not giving you a list of the people that I disapprove of. However, in your groups and communities, you should have the list named. What I'm sensitive of is my giving you the last word on this. I'm sensitive because I'm bringing this teaching and I sound like an authority. Now I'm going to give you a list of 10 watchouts and you're all going to go, well, he's, you know, he seems to have really thought through it. So uh, these are the watchouts. I don't want to do that. I'd rather that you did that work and I'd rather that you talk about it with your people. 1 Corinthians 5.11, this is going to be in my get tough conclusions. Here's what the scripture says. Don't share a meal with anyone who's in sexual immorality. Don't have anything to do with them. If they call themselves a Christian, but have sexual immorality in their life, have nothing to do with them. That's what the scripture says. Not only do I not know people who, who obey that, I can tell you scads of people who willingly disobey that. They wink their eye at that passage because we're just reaching out to hurting people. They're broken. What, do they call themselves believers? Yes. Well, you're told not to do that. Well, where are they going to hear the truth, you guys? 
Where are they ever going to hear the truth if not through us? We are so bold. We are so good. We love the most broken people. You're disobedient is what you are. You're a rebel. You don't get to, you don't get to wear the name loving. Sorry, because you're disobedient. And the king has told you what is loving and you don't want to hear his words. Okay, does that get up in our lap a little bit? I hope so. Number four, they will teach us to value the temporal over the spiritual. That is to say that they will teach that the kingdom is seen with the eyes. That is to say that the gospel is activism or social change. The king said this. He was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. He answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, because in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. It's inside you. That's what Jesus said. It's not something that you could see. So people who say, um, we will experience the kingdom when we have a melanin ratio in every group of people that is according to our liking, and we'll decide what that melanin ratio should be. That's not kingdom talk. Or we will be happy when every homeless person has a place to live. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to work for. That's fine. That's great. Don't say that the kingdom of God is something that comes by outward observation. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And working for the gospel is not working for something that's temporal. You know what we really need? Environmental responsibility. Fine. I'm so cool with that. He's made us stewards. We should take care of this land. We should take care of the property that we have, have a lordship over. I'm not confusing that with what the kingdom of God is or what the gospel is. Jesus didn't come so that rivers would be clean. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not the gospel. Where, where are the black people in your small groups? Oh, shoot. Well, that's a problem because 1 Corinthians 12 says he puts the parts of the body together just as he sees fit. So, see, I don't, I don't get to just decide the demographics of my group. I just, it's just whoever he puts me together with. So, all of the energy around social activism, that's fine in its own right. Don't get that into my church. Don't get that into the gospel. Don't conflate the kingdom of God with outward change. Number five, they teach that their words are tantamount to God's words. This is why I say we're looking for people who will step on our toes with God's word. Jeremiah 14, 14, the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them. I didn't command them, nor have I spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision. Divination is God's word, not mine. That means it comes from demons and from evil spirits. And the deceit of their heart. Mark 13 says, false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I, I, and I, just wanna t I just hope that you're nervous when you read that. I just hope that you don't think, but I'm smart. 
If somebody came and raised somebody from the dead here in front of us today, you would probably take whatever they say after that. I certainly would be given to that. What an incredible sign and miracle. Now, what I would add, my next word, I know what I would do if that happened. Teach us how to raise people from the dead. Go. Start talking. What happened? Because I want that. I, I, I want to see more people raised from the dead. But we have to understand false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive even the elect if it's possible. I want a very generous ethic about prophecy. I do. I want people to try. I want children to try. I want us to have a place where everyone can say, I think the Lord may be speaking to me and I think he might be saying this. I want that really bad. I want everybody to be able to do that. And I want, a, I want a culture so that somebody can try and the next person could put their hand on their leg and say, I know that you're new to all this. You don't know what the scriptures say. Let me just open up for you. What you just said is wrong. And that's fine. Here's what the scriptures say. Now try again. Let's, let's hear from him again. We know that wasn't the Lord, what you just came up with. I was at a meeting in Oxford this past week with ministry leaders. These are mostly students. It was great. It was exciting to see kids on fire for Jesus. And someone took the opportunity because of the froth that was present in the room, the excitement to go, hey guys, I received a vision this past week and I just want to share it. And I was just sort of like, get out my pen. All right, start talking. And it was somebody who'd set themselves, this is not a student, someone who set themselves up as a leader. And they started going on about this vision and seeing a tree and a river, you know? Yeah, okay, I've, I've, been, I've been around. Okay, tree and a river, I'm with you, okay. And there was nothing to what was said. It wasn't, it wasn't measurable at all. It was just sort of a just piece of encouragement lent. But got thrown into the room. There was no way to discern. There'll be no way to test it. Is, was, is there truth there? Will it come to pass what you're saying? And what the effect in the room was, that person got a little glory. Got a little glory on her for sharing her thing. And she kind of sat back. And, and she earned some status in the room. Because she shared her vision. And some of the younger people in the room were like, Wow, that is really cool. And somebody said, thank, Mal, thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. And I just sat there and just thought, we don't have any reference for what our filter is about what we approve of and what we'll receive and what we'll call God's word or not. That kind of thing, that sounds innocuous. I know that's relatively innocuous to what, what I just shared because there was no great lies. But I'm telling you that fluffy nothingness will be called prophecy. And if she does fluffy nothingness 20 times in a row and people start to refer to her, that woman really prophesies. Well, she's given me some really powerful, encouraging prophecies. The 21st thing that she says might be five degrees off, but she's cultivated an aura of respectability about what she says with her fluffy, affirming stuff that now she's received, and now we just start following emotionally. This cat right up here in the front row, 
He says, can you, can you expand that to talk about prophetic voices culturally or like American prophetic voices that we receive? Oh, prof, you know, right. When we have an attitude, which is, well, you know, he's anointed from God. He's gifted. If I, if I hadn't said it explicitly enough, giftedness doesn't mean squat. It doesn't mean anything. I hope we never respect giftedness, except that we could call it that. Wow, that girl is gifted. That guy is gifted. They have an antenna. That's how I, that's how I usually describe it. That person has an antenna. Now, when he attaches God's name to his words, then there are repercussions for that. And there ought to be a, a simple, I'm not vindictive against the guy. I don't have any, I don't own a pitchfork. I'm not interested in going after him. I simply want us to hold everyone that calls himself prophetic, the responsibility that comes with their words. So there is no, you, you don't get to miss what you said was God's word. And then we just extend more line to you and keep, and just keep going. No, I don't want to receive anything from that guy. Somebody like Jeremiah Johnson owned up to it and said, I was wrong. I misheard and I'm backing away, everybody. I got to seek the Lord for a few months. I don't know what's going on. Hey, man, he's my brother. I, okay, I, I, I'll give him grace. But somebody who sets them up as a prophetic authority, I'm sorry, but I don't owe him endless swings at the plate. I don't. He's the one that said he spoke for the Lord. Okay, is that a good enough? My last thing that they teach is no fighting. That is false unity. The, the unity that we're supposed to walk in as the people of God is unity around the pure milk of God's word. And when we agree to submit to that together, we walk, we walk together. That's how we, we walk in agreement under his word because we're all children of the king. We're all in submission together. There is a patina of unity that is desired by false teachers so that anyone who would challenge what is spoken the way that I'm doing today would be seen as the problem. You're creating disunity and you need to go. What I'm vying for is Paul said, there must be divisions among you because we have to know who's approved. That is to say, who follows the word of God. John 10, Jesus says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. They bail at the sight of trouble. They don't, for instance, warn about false teachers because they don't want fights. They don't want conflict. They don't want the work that has to be done to get to the bottom of this is poison for our people and we won't allow it. And when a false teacher comes along, they have to be challenged and run out of town. They have to be challenged, but a false teacher doesn't want any fights. Let's all just be cool. Let me say what I, hey, let, you got your turn. Let me say what I want to say. It's okay. We, there's... Come on, we have to be willing to fight for the truth. Paul was so ready to fight 
and to chase people away. Not only did he name names, he went to Peter, to his face, good friend, Peter, and challenged and opposed him because the purity of the doctrine of the church, it means everything to us, as I hope I have set up today. So if you have a teacher that doesn't draw the line of your flesh, the way that you interact with the world and the enemy, you don't have a friend on your hands with this teacher because we gotta be fighters. This is Acts 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This is Paul talking in Acts. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So these warnings, the kind of warnings that we're hearing today, they're helpful. I hope you hear me speaking in love. I'm concerned. A teacher that you can trust is someone who is willing to fight, fight for you and even fight you. If we, if we come into conflict over doctrine, we, ha we have to be fighters, which gets me to my, what do we do about it? I'm just going to give you three things. Anybody tell me what the number one thing that we should do? Repent. Repent. That should be our number one move. When we recognize, oh God, we live in such a perverted age, which we do. I swim in the water of perversion. I do. So what should I, what should I first do? I should first repent. Here are some suggestions for repentance. You could repent for, not being, pa for being passive and easy prey. That'd be great. Lord, I don't want that in me anymore. Lord, I've just opened up my mouth and taken everything that came through the, the, the airwaves. Oh God, help me, Lord. I repent for not speaking up. I see untruth coming. I, I, I can see it. I can smell it. And yet I don't want to cause waves, Lord. I don't want to be seen as the outsider. I don't want to be seen as a problem. And so, Lord, I just keep my mouth shut. God, would you forgive me? I repent for not speaking up when I know that untruth is happening and my friends are, are sucking it down. And I see it happening and I say nothing. Boo on that. Let's be done with that. I repent for rolling over when sheep are slaughtered, Lord, and seeing mega churches influencing thousands. And I just go, well, they, have their, they make their own decisions. Your heart breaks when sheep are slaughtered by false teaching. Does mine? So, Lord, I repent of just shrugging my shoulders and moving on. I repent of for not fighting for the truth. However that means. I repent for, for being, this is a good little list right here. I repent for being conflict averse. That's not a biblical quality. I can't find that in my scripture anywhere. Conflict averse, people pleasing, man fearing, and pain avoiding. Repent for it, Lord. He trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. Lord, forgive me for thinking that I would be in a bed, a plush bed, 
by following you as your disciple. Not the case. He trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. One of the things that you can do is to be Berean. I hope you've heard that clearly. Everything that comes into your ears or into the ears of your children or those on your downline that you're responsible for, be Berean, test it. Even though, well, I've heard that before. I've heard that all my life. But boy, we need to chase that down. Oh, Joy's gone. Oh, she asked me some saying and she said, does that come from the Bible? It was just a commonly held saying. I said, no, it doesn't come from the Bible. And she said, well, is it true? Great question. Well, we just, let's just look at the scriptures. Take the time to be Berean and go, well, does it square with the scriptures? Get more critical. First John 4 says, do not, it commands you, do not believe everything. Do not believe every spirit, it says, but test them. I'll just say really quick, a couple of years ago, there was a guy that rolled through town. He called himself an apostle. He said his name was Jeremiah. Hmm. Sounds a little too Old testament to me. Let's see. And he started, he started worming his way into house groups. He got into three house groups and people were giving this guy a platform. And I smelled a rat. I just didn't like it. So I grabbed my, my gray beard friend, David Sheldon. I said, come, you come watch me have it out with this guy. And if you've got a correction, you can give it. I sat down with this guy and he told me his designs on our city. And I said, who sent you? And he didn't, he didn't have an answer for that. Well, nobody is an apostle if they're not sent by somebody. That's what the definition of apostle is. And he told me some of his story. And, and okay, let me just say, on one side, I felt sorry for the guy. On, there's a part of me that goes, you're broken, you have needs, blah, blah, blah. I was not in that mode when I met with Jeremiah. You're, I'm sorry for your brokenness. I was in sheepdog mode. You are attacking my people. And you are, you are filling their ears with some, it's super spiritual putting Holy Spirit on nonsense kind of stuff. Let's all sit in a drum circle and, and do ohm, and I'll tell you, you had a wonderful experience of the Holy Spirit. You did not. And so anyways, I just had it out with this guy, and I told him, you're not welcome in this town. I'm going to chase you out of this town. I'm going to contact all the people that have had you in their homes. They're not going to have you in their homes anymore. You need to go back to wherever you came from. You need to find some people that will love you, and it ain't here. Leave this city. We don't want you here. Um, nobody asked me to do that. <laughs> I wasn't uh, an approved, you know, the uh, statesman of the town. I just sniffed out what was happening with him, sat down and go, this is not on. You're one of these people. I didn't say that to him, but I was thinking, you're one of these people. And I felt it was a test of, for me thought that the Lord was testing me, looking at me going, what you going to do, boy? What, what will you do? Well, those people in those groups, I guess they make their own decisions. They're grown-ups. Is that what you would want someone to do for you? No, I want people who will defend me if I'm starting to swallow something that's half-baked. 
And so I did contact all those people and his little, he had a, he had a big prophecy about what stage he was going to be on. He gave me dates and also I said, none of your little prophecies are going to come to pass. Nothing that you just described is happening. And I thought I was doing spiritual battle there and David was pleased. I felt I backed up and I just give that as an example. It's a little low. That's such, such a, a local local thing you know maybe 20 people were affected but i'm telling you that my attitude is i want us to have a burning perimeter around this city and 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 i want what stephen described which is there's patches of believers and we're all networked together and when the lights go out i don't know what i'm i don't know what i mean when i say that but if the lights go out and we, f we wake up tomorrow and the electricity is gone and there's no internet and all of our little modern ways of reaching people are gone. We're, we know where to find one another because we're networked. And I want there to be a burning perimeter around this city that we're all watching for ravenous wolves who come in sheep's clothing and we say, not in my town. It's not happening here. That's my attitude. My last thing is to toughen up. I already talked about naming names. Paul did it. I think I give you five examples of where Paul did it on the little take-home sheet. Galatians 1.10 is a fave. It's a Stevie fave. And it is, do I appeal to men or to God? Or am I trying to please men or please God? And here's the kicker of the verse. If I'm trying to please men, I am not a servant of Christ. So we, even with what I'm teaching, I, you know, I see there's a lot of people here that love me. I see the eyes of receptivity and I see some eyes that are going like, what you talking about? And I just got to say, I'm up here teaching and I, I, there's a portal on the top of this roof here and I'm, I'm preaching for dad. That's why I'm teaching what I'm teaching because this is what daddy says and I'm here to honor him. And if you want the same thing with about, with about these scriptures, you and I are walking in unity. But there's a false unity that says, for instance, you can't criticize BLM because that produces disunity. No, we can. We can criticize every demonic thing that sets itself up against the kingdom. And we should talk about it. And if you love BLM and you don't know why I would say that, I'm happy to talk with you about it. I'm not afraid of having a conversation with you. That's fine. But we should be ringing alarm bells to, for one another constantly all over the place. Sharpen iron is one of the ways to toughen up. We have got to get fluent at Matthew 18. And that when we're offended by somebody, we don't just go, well, I'll be the big person. I'll be the bigger one. You, the Bible commands you that when you're offended by someone, you go to them and you talk about it and you say, I, I, maybe it's just me. This would be a perfect way to do Matthew 18, by the way. You don't, just a little tip. You don't have to walk in and say, we're about to do Matthew 18 now. You, you know, that's not the best way to handle Matthew 18. The best way is to go to somebody and say, I don't know, it just might be me. I, you know, help me. I, I don't know if it's just me, but man, you, t you kind of tweaked me when this thing happened. You said or did this thing and it kind of offended me. I'm sorry. Can we, I just want to talk about it with you. I just want to find out. And, and nine times out of 10, if we're in healthy relationships, oh, it did. I am so sorry. I did not mean to do that. 
boy, that, let's make that right. I embarrassed you in front of that person. Let's go talk to them, whatever. It's, it's when we see some heels go in. Don't you touch that thing. Sorry you were offended. I'm sorry you were offended. You feel some heels go down and go, oh, shoot. I think we're going to have to revisit this. And I'm going to have to call somebody else in. And now we're into step two of Matthew 18. We have to become... We have to become fluent at Matthew 18, everybody. We cannot keep avoiding Matthew 18 because we like niceness. We have to become fluent at Matthew 18. We have to do this with one another. We have to challenge one another. We have to have a culture of our community which is our relationships are very important to us. And so if I offend you, even if I offended you today, you can come to me and we'll talk it out. I'm happy for that to happen. I'm telling you, if Matthew 18 doesn't become regular and no big whoop for us because it happens so often, we are teeing ourselves up for false teaching. I'm telling you, we have to become fluent at Matthew 18. And I know it's awkward. And I know it's uncomfortable. And I know you'll feel like a big meanie. I, I know all of that stuff. If you want to be obedient to the word of God, we're going to have to do Matthew 18 and get good at it. So I'm telling you to toughen, <clears throat> toughen it up. Raise my voice for that one. If we, if we can pull Matthew 18 out whenever we have personally felt offended or violated somebody, and we ought to do that in relationships. But if we have the interests of God at heart, then somebody could be doing, if I hear that a friend of mine has slept around, am I personally offended? Not really. I know. I'd have to say, no, I'm not personally offended. Am I going to have a Matthew 18 conversation? We sure the heck are having a Matthew 18 kind of conversation. Because I have God's heart for the community. You know, you ever heard of the old sin in the camp? You ever heard of that one? I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned about the soul of my friend. So we're going to have a conversation about their sin, not because I have personal animus or I'm so upset about it. It's because I, we're co-shepherding each other. And when there's sin present, everything goes south. Did, has anybody ever heard that the wages of sin is death? It's still, it's still the truth. Did you know that? You'll taste death. You might not taste eternal death if you're in Christ, but you'll still taste death. I want my friends to taste as little death and as much life as possible because my kings came that they might have life and have it to the uttermost. So I want to be one of his watchdogs. On toughen up, I'll just say this. I'm, I am landing this plane soon. Just stop being universally nice. Just try that. Just try stop being universally nice all the time about everything. There are some things that are offensive to God. If you're a father with children, then there's a lot that happens around their scene that you don't approve of and shouldn't be nice about because it's a problem. Similarly, just don't just 
you know what? If you drive by the Hustler store downtown, it would be totally fine for you to go. I grieve deeply. There is an anger that I know that there are judgments against my city. And God, I know that my anger does not accomplish your righteousness, Lord, but I feel so grieved at the sin that's present. That should, be, that should be part of our emotional makeup. should be part of the package. But no, not us. Not us. Just nice. All the time. Nice, 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 nice. I'm not here trying to make you mean people. That's not my goal. But we have an idol of niceness. That, that we will not follow the Lord in these ways if we continue to idolize niceness. That's my point. We've got to break the ice on this. The chains of acceptability and niceness. Would you like some opportunities to be not nice? Okay. Second John 7 through 11. Don't welcome these people into your home and don't even greet them. I've had personal relationships with false teachers. Me. And the Bible says, don't welcome these people into your home and don't even greet them. It says it in the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible. I didn't make it up. Don't greet them. I repeat again, 1 Corinthians 5.11, have no meals with anybody who calls themselves a believer but is sexually immoral. Practice saying no to the idol of niceness at all times. And my last little get tough thing, I really believe we could do this. I really believe that you could sit down with your small group and you could actually say, why don't we decide that we will hate the things that God hates? And simply just say, let's pray about it together. Lord, I don't think I hate materialism as much as you do. Lord, we just agree right now that we hate materialism. We hate the worship of stuff and the looking to stuff to fill a void in the heart. God, we hate it. Help us to hate it, Lord. Hating the things that God hates will help you break the, this patina of niceness that we've got to shatter. Your own relationship with the Lord is on the line. These false teachers and false doctrines are dangerous to your faith, your very soul, and, to, and, and acting as if everybody who claims God's approval is part of the family is dangerous. Our glib desire to be part of something popular has undercut our desire to evaluate as God has told us to. May God give us unction. If you want it, let's just ask for it right now. God, would you give me unction? Oh, God. Make me one of these. Make me like my Savior. His head was set like flint on Jerusalem. And nothing could dissuade him. Oh, I want to be like my hero, Lord. Would you make me a man of passion for your name? May God give us boldness and resolve in eternal eyes. May we stop idolizing a romantic fantasy about what love is and rejoice in the truth as 1 Corinthians 13 describes God's love. We must develop the ability to sniff out this stuff and the sort of false teachers for the days that lie ahead. They are coming, and their success does mean deception and even death for anyone who entertains them 
and gives them room to operate. Revelation 2.20 is my last verse. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you because you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Would you stand, just pray with me. I just wanna to respond to this verse, Revelation 2.20, Lord, and just confess that we tolerate Jezebel and we don't wanna be called intolerant. Even if it's being intolerant of Jezebel, the one who came to slit our throats and to spit at your name. Sorry, Lord. Lord, we need such wisdom for the days that lie ahead. Would I receive Jeremiah if he were here today? And he said, sorry, you're not moving on. You'll be, you'll be in bondage for 70 years. Would, would I say, don't like this Jeremiah guy. Lord, I don't even know what to pray, but I'm, if anybody agrees with me, we're just asking, Lord, God, would you please galvanize us with your word? Would you make us, would, would you fill us with the fear of God, which keeps us safe, that we might fear you, Lord, that the way that we relate to one another would be colored by the fear of God. I'm asking everybody that's listening to actively participate and agree with me in your heart if you want what I'm gonna say, but Lord, would you please demolish the fear of man from us? And I mean that first of all, between us, between the people that are right here, right now. We confess, Lord, we don't even have interactions with people a lot of times without the fear of man being present. Lord, we need you to shatter it, Lord, with truth, 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 Lord. Give us a love for your truth at any cost, Lord. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, which is effective for me today. Lord, thank you that when we do what you commanded us to do and we look into your word, you tell us what we need to hear, Lord. Thank you for warning us. Thank you that you're, you're so faithful and kind to warn us, Lord. We need your warnings, Lord. Do anything necessary to preserve us unto yourself, to close us up into yourself. Amen. Amen.